I had my children on the floor. I was on my favorite blanket that my grandmother gave me on the floor like a cat. And I realized in that moment, the potential of what our bodies can really do as women. Like I could feel his head. I could do my own internal, like, yeah, his head, I could feel it. I was in tears. I was just in tears and overwhelmed with gratitude. Hi, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast, the podcast that is bringing embodied birth wisdom from women from all over the world sharing their natural birth stories. Don't forget to subscribe and download so that you can always have access to these empowering and positive natural birth stories. Hi, my name is Anna, also known as the Spiritual Midwife, and I am the Natural Birth Podcast host. I'm a midwife and a childbirth educator, and I assist women in optimizing their chances of having an empowering and natural birth experience and a nourishing and healing postpartum. I offer holistic birth preparation and postpartum online courses worldwide for the conscious mama wanting to prepare emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually for her birth and for her postpartum. And if you want to know more about me and what I do in the world, then visit me at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. If you had a natural and empowering birth experience that you would like to share with the world, then you can email me at anna_the_spiritual_midwife at gmail.com and maybe your story will be featured on the Natural Birth Podcast. Now let's dive into today's episode. Today on the Natural Birth Podcast, we have Anna Lee. Anna Lee is a mother of two living in Malambimbi, Australia. She is a producer, broadcaster, coach and advocate for women's voices. She is a co-founder of Pregnancy, Birth and Beyond Media and is the national president of Maternity Choices Australia, one of Australia's oldest maternity advocacy groups. It is a pleasure to have her here today to talk about her two natural home births. She has such a depth of wisdom about the maternity system and its dysfunction, as well as how to safeguard and create the most optimal space for birth. And today, she shares it all with you. Curious about Annalie? Contact her on Insta as at Annalie.atia. Hello, Annalie, and welcome to the Natural Birth Podcast. How are you today? I'm so well. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I really love listening to it. It's a beautiful podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast, and thank you for inviting me to your home. My pleasure. This is so wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you. Well, let's get into your birth stories, shall we? I know you've had two home births. Do you want to tell us about them, please? Yes, I'd love to. So I'm 40 now and when I was 29 I had given birth for the first time and while we were pregnant we were still living in Sydney, my husband and I, at the time my partner, we we got married when our kids were younger Um, and we thought 
we didn't want to be in Sydney where it was all hustle and bustle and lots of rush and uh, we had a very busy life. We're both producers and 24-7 and we knew that we couldn't maintain that pace and have a family. Mm-hmm. So we came to Malambimbi. <laughs> oh, beautiful. That's uh, what brought you here. Yeah, it is what brought us here um, to the beautiful Byron Shire. And we chose Malam because it, it was just a lovely leafy town and the shops are wonderful and nearby there's cafes restaurants and lovely little country town shops and it was a calm quiet uh, environment for us to have our beautiful family together it was such a big change for us in the relationship and we wanted to we were really keen on having this beautiful child and we wanted to really give ourselves the opportunity to experience it fully and we could work from home so we had that opportunity and my husband could commute for work which is what he's been doing for the last 11 years. When he needs to, he goes to Sydney. So one of the things that um, is important in this story is the both our backgrounds. So I'm from Israel and my mum's Australian, my dad's Israeli. So I grew up in both countries, um, but I was born in Israel. And my I was born at home and that's a beautiful story in its own right. And uh, it has impacted my life in so many ways. And, and it's been an important thing in our life as a family. My, my father had five children with my mum, three and another two. Four of us were born at home. We're all very close. And um, that experience of being born at home has been in our family and a known kind of possible experience. So I think that was a really important factor in terms of how I felt about home birth and it felt safe, it's, it felt regular, normal, it felt like the obvious choice. I didn't have any fear around it. I'd heard many stories. I'm the eldest of the five so I'd actually been to a couple of those births myself and mm. one when I was um, 18. So wow. I had really had this amazing experience as a woman to be able to see um, a birth as, as, a young as, as a young woman, yeah, wow. a home birth, and to be in that space, the limbic space. So I think that's a really important factor in terms of how how easily that decision was made for me. Mm. And then my husband, uh, his father and mother were, they came from a more, they, he was born in Sydney and he grew up there his whole life. His dad was the chief anesthetist in a big hospital in Sydney for many years, was part of the group that started Sydney IVF, um, very strong medical background, you know, and medical solutions for everything. And so for him, that was his background. But we were in a relationship together and we were making decisions together as a couple and as a family. And it felt right for us to step away from everything and come here and be in a space where we could make our own decisions and have that freedom to um, explore what felt right for us as a couple and as a family. And my partner, Danny, beautiful, so supportive and uh, incredibly aware and conscious of what I needed for myself and my body and for my spirit to stay intact and for my well-being. And we had to negotiate a few things and discuss a lot of things and did research together. I did a lot more research <laughs> being a woman and wanting to really understand how this is going to affect my body. The baby was growing in my body. Um, and also Danny being who he is, he's a very practical 
person and um, a big picture person he doesn't need to know all the details and um, he just needs to know what we need to do and whether or not he agrees with that and and for him how he makes his decisions that's going on in his head and his heart and his being and so he was incredibly supportive and we also did this beautiful course calm birth which I think was imperative in the way we aligned together as a couple in what's happening and also in the support and practical information it gave Danny as a man and as a partner and um, as the father to be in terms of what they can, how he could be involved in all of this and where he fit and what is actually going to happen in my body and what's going to happen for us as a couple and um, how that will unfold. So I think that was a really critical part as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so those were kind of key elements in terms of the background information that could really, mm-hmm. that set us up for a positive experience. Yeah, I hear that a lot when women and their partners have done a lot of work together. You know, what kind of, you know, doesn't matter what kind of preparation that is, what, what kind of course that is. I find that that's really what the outcome is that the man or partner, depending on if there's a man or woman, um, when they feel like they understand as well how labor works and how they can be the best support person, both them feel safe in the birth space and the woman because she obviously feels her partner and if, you know, her partner feels safe and trusting of the process as well. And so it's really important, the communication, the time you spend together, the information that you get, the quality of the information that you get mm. and the quality of the support that you get. And all of those things made our experience as a couple and as a family and for me as a woman giving birth, it made all the difference. Mm. And so we got here, I was four or five months pregnant and um, I knew I needed to get a midwife but being working in the industry that I worked the entertainment and industry and it was it's massive it's so busy there's a lot of people hardly anyone has children everybody's kind of in the go-go zone in production it's the back end of everything that you see that's cool and fun (laughs) and a lot of work goes into creating that and music and events and tv and all of that kind of stuff there's just um it's very complex and very busy and a lot of the people who work in there are quite dedicated and and um don't sleep (laughs) and so when we came here and we don't we socialize at work so we don't kind of I, I hardly knew anyone that was having babies so even though I had that great experience none of my as a child and growing up and in my family I was never really around people who were giving birth because I worked so much and the people that I worked with, you know, there was nobody going off to give birth and coming back to work. And so I was still in that kind of really, it was the most, I actually, it was one of my favorite times in my life. We came here, we, even though we'd lived here in this area before, a few years earlier, that's how we met. We came to live here together and we spent a couple of years here in the area and we knew a few people and everything but when we came back we lived in a different area and we weren't really connecting with too many people and it was a beautiful um time where we just I was I stopped working when I was five months so I still had a few more jobs to do and I was doing them online and I decided to stop at five months because the intensity of that work is just not compatible with with pregnancy Mm. Um, and then Danny was working, coming and going for work from to Sydney. 
And we were just building a little nest here in Malam and slowly building our home and researching and eating well and all of those things you do when you're pregnant. And I didn't feel too social. I was meeting here and there with a few people, but I didn't feel too social. And I didn't know anyone else who was pregnant or having babies. And I knew I needed to get a midwife. And I was like, oh, you know, I was thinking about it. I wasn't taking action on it. And just as a little tip here for anybody wanting to get a midwife, please do it the day you find out you're pregnant. <laughs> please start your research immediately. Yeah. And um, because especially here in Australia, you know, in the country, there's I think 140,000 women give birth every year. 80, 98% of them give birth in a hospital. If you want a privately practicing midwife, there's less than 200 of those in the whole country. Mm. You need to call straight away and get your shortlist going and meet up with them and see if they're available. And, and, and feel if they're a fit, because just because they're available, they might absolutely wrestling yeah. with you. Yeah. Get your shortlist going. Like Find out who are those <laughs> in your area, call them all, see who you like the voice of, and then when you meet them, if you aligned, because they're going to be... Yeah. walking that journey with you and probably one of the most important people in the room in terms of the relationships and the agreements and the feelings and the emotional aspect and you really want to that's your responsibility as as somebody that's pregnant to make sure that you have the right care providers around you so not to expect that they will be the right care providers you need to really work mm -hmm. that out if they're right for you mm -hmm. and so I finally did come around to um, looking for a midwife and uh, sh sure enough, there weren't that many. At the time here in the area in the Byron Shire, there were about 14 or 50, 15 pr privately practicing midwives. So this was 11 years ago. Hardly anyone was free already. So already that list was strong. Now there's about three or four in the area. Yeah. And that's because the restrictions have gotten more difficult and it's much more difficult to be, to be a, a PPM, a privately practicing mm. midwife. Yeah. And there's hardly any support for them and they're dwindling. And as the years go by, um, despite the overwhelming evidence that a privately practicing midwife um, providing home birth services provides one of the best care available to mothers and families and babies, there's better outcome for mothers, better outcome for babies, better outcomes for families, overwhelmingly. Yeah. And that's grade A quality evidence from around the globe, mm -hmm. from every single um, worthwhile scientific body and organization. Mm -hmm. They yes. all say it. So despite these facts and despite um, all of that, the culture and preconceived ideas and notions about childbirth um, take over and, uh, and are allowed as well, I have to say, uh, whoever's out there listening, you know, if you allow those ideas over the evidence, over um, real life experience, lived experience, then, you know, that's a shame because you could be allowing something else and you, we all partake in the reality. Mm. And so anyway, that, that being said, I did end up finding a midwife who lived about almost an hour away, just under an hour away, and she was wonderful and we we're so amazing that we, you know, were able to find her so grateful and she was this little thing, you know, she had a little, she's a little woman and a bit older. She'd been practicing for over 25 years, originally from Melbourne and um, just a lovely, lovely woman. And we ended up seeing her uh, in her place and she came to our house, as you do as a midwife, to check out the space. And we did all of this preparation. We, as I said, we did calm birth and the antenatal classes with her and she gave us... Um, 
the amazing book Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering by Dr. Buckley, Sarah, Sarah J. Buckley. Sarah Buckley. We love her. <laughs> We love her. Oh, my God, Sarah, you should be in every, in every waiting room <laughs> in the country, in every doctor's waiting room. So that little book became our Bible along with a couple of other really excellent books. Um, but that particular one, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering, was, has all the science in it as well as information for the parents. And, and it explains things in plain language in a way and with you know, medical language as well where needed in a way that's really reassuring and supportive. And so those resources, having our wonderfully... Um, resourced and experienced privately practicing midwife or midwife in private practice as well as a couple of great books and the course Calm Birth and of course all the other non-stop research I was doing because that's my work I'm a producer and I just I find solutions and I research a lot and so I just spent the entire time researching and finding out what we needed and having conversations with Danny and having conversations with my parents and da -da -da -da, going backwards and forth and setting up the house nesting 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 all of those things really prepared us for the experience of childbirth and uh, sure enough the time came and um, I was It's a funny story because my midwife had said to me, so she asked me about my mother's birth experiences and she said it's sometimes the case that you had have similar births to your mother. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I knew my mother's birth stories because I, that was just a, a thing in our family. We told our birth stories and there were, you know, something that was known. It wasn't a hidden something because mm -hmm. there were positive ones. They were all positive birth stories. Mm -hmm. And also it was just... You know, my dad and mum both passionate about childbirth, the experience, the autonomy, the, um, you know, the fact that they were conscious around it. So they had awareness, they did their own research, and it was an important thing in their lives. And I often think people think, oh, why was that important? People will prepare more for, um, you know, buying a car. Yes. <laughs> This is true research. Mm. People will spend more time researching which car to get then they will preparing for childbirth, which yes. is going to be the most, the number one, more than any other thing that's going to happen to them in their life, more mm. than buying a house, mm. more than getting married, the most mm. monumental change in their entire life. And we spend less time preparing for it. So being conscious and aware and having being informed and understanding the system and the context and what's, you know, the different options and the different care providers, that is just common sense. Common it's so sense. important because it's going potentially to affect your health emotionally, mentally, physically and spiritually for the rest of your life. Not potentially, it will. Yes, it also, will. Also, obviously, what kind of birth you have will have different effects on you. But it's huge and I can't tell you how many mamas who've had a baby that I talk to afterwards says, I wish... I wish I'd done your course. I wish I had done more research. I wish that I knew what you tell me now. I wish I'd known that mm. my first time around. I have a lot of second time mamas and even third, fourth time mamas coming. Um, I know yeah. it so well. I'm in the advocacy work around childbirth and, and that is the main driving force is those exact stories of mothers who come the second time around and say, mm. I wish I'd known this the first time. And, and, 
the, the, the tears in the soul, mm. you know, there's tears in the soul over this. And these are tears that people completely ignore and think are irrelevant. But the lifelong impact of childbirth is I've heard stories. For, I've listened to a 90-year-old woman yeah. crying over her childbirth experiences yes. from 70 years ago. Yes. So I will not uh, water it down. It's and I will not say that likely. it's, uh, um, yes, it's okay not to take it seriously it is a serious issue and it's mm. a and it's a big decision and there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of factors involved mm. and the impacts are forever positive or negative mm. so totally yeah so what happened so we were at the births of my mother so she my mother had 48 hour birthing experiences for all her kids around that around about that so but from the first time she felt something till the baby came out it was around 48 hours. So the, the process started. It wasn't, she wasn't in full time, full on labor the whole time. But she, from many times I've spoken to her, she, generally she said it wasn't too painful and it was quite a good experience and um, she felt good. So I was like, great, you know. <laughs> and um, all her births were without complications. Two of them were at home and the third one was at hospital because um, about a week, 10 days before she gave birth, she was getting out of the car and she broke her ankle. She just mm-hmm. stepped in the wrong way and in, in between the car and the um, and the pathway and her foot got stuck there and she broke her ankle. And being heavy with a third baby, like at nine months pregnant and having two little toddlers, it was just a, de- a decision that they made to go to the hospital and they felt that was the right thing. And she left for a few hours after and it was just, and she actually thought that was great. She loved the support from the midwives and the nurses and everyone was taking care of her. And, and I think it was a wonderful experience for them. But all of them were without intervention and um, they went pretty smoothly. There was no, um, no issues generally. So then I had that in my head as it's going to be a 48-hour thing. And um, so I was psyching myself up for from when I feel something till then. And, you know, you, no matter how hard you try to imagine what it's going to feel like, there's just, there's just no, there's no imagining it. <laughs> it's just not something you can imagine. Um, I, get, I guess the, the best way to, to any advice, if, if I could give any advice around the pain of childbirth, is just to expect that it's going to be painful and to think about it as a marathon where that in the end there's a you know you come to the end and it finishes and then there's you can chill for a minute and it stops it does stop after and you don't have you have this whole endorphin and great feel and positive like very um uh the oxytocin and all the hormones help you manage the pain during and then after it kind of helps subside that and it is a bit painful but it's you know then you've got your baby and and all of that and so that's how I was thinking about it as well and then the time came, I remember I was actually sitting in this room, very much where you're sitting right now, on a little couch kind of thing. And I was lying back and relaxing and I had hardly ever laid back for, you know, in the past three or four months because I knew not to lie back being pregnant because when you're sitting backwards and lying back, it's not the good position for the baby can flip and then you can have a back, what, what is termed a back birth. Posterior. A posterior baby. birth, which even though, like, I'd never had one, I... I, when I see it and I hear the sounds, I'm like, oh, my God. I can just imagine the pain is much 
much much worse and and this is something that you can actually influence during mm. your pregnancy with positioning not something that is unfortunately not really talked about something i definitely I don't know why my midwife my was so adamant she was like do not mm. lean back and i was like okay yeah we'll and we do, do that a lot in this day and age you know slouching mm. in the couch even the car or seat is not very good yeah she made me get a car wedge a car seat wedge Mm, so she wouldn't let me she said do not drive or sit in the car without the wedge and I was like okay so it props up the wedge sits obviously the high bit of the wedge is at the back of the seat and the low bit so you're propped up so you're not uh, and also I had to lie on the side on my left side all the time Uh, it was just the last two or three months but I remember it being you know when I was asleep I was constantly on the left side it was a bit annoying but the outcome was a positive, like it, I, I, you know, it was all very smooth and I will tell that story mm-hmm. in a second. But all those things I think really helped lying on the side, not slouching back. I see it a lot with pregnant women. I'm always like, don't lie, don't slouch back mm-hmm. because the, it's a gravity thing. The weight of the baby's head, the head is the heaviest part of their body and um, depending on where they're positioned, but you want them to be positioned down obviously uh, not that a breech birth is not possible but or not at anything other than a variation of normal, but you need to have people who are trained in order to help you with the breech birth yeah. for it to be successful because um, if they're not trained, uh, it can go wrong and there's hardly anyone trained in breech birth these days because they've stopped training in it. And that's another story as mm-hmm. well. But um, you want to do everything you can in order to have, you know, get your baby in the best position. There's a lot of different things you can do. Spinning babies is that the other. But the main things that you can do at home yourself without any intervention is do not slouch back. Definitely lie on your left side when you're asleep or resting. Uh, if you are re- if you need to relax, lie on the couch on the side with a pillow, you know, that propping yourself up. But don't have your body like in that kind of reclining position that we all really enjoy to do. That is especially not the last two months. The last eight weeks, definitely don't be in that position. Mm-hmm. And so when the time came, I was sitting in this little couch here and I was reclining for the first time. <laughs> and then I heard this pop sound. It was like pop, you know, from um, the lower part, from my va- vagina area. And I thought, oh, that's strange. I didn't put two and two together and it was a bit wet. And I thought, oh, I'll just, I thought maybe I peed because you're not, there's, yeah. sometimes you're just not, you're this. I have to say also something really important. The last two weeks before that happened, before that day and that moment, I became very internal. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to speak to anyone. I didn't feel like going out. And I, I remembered, I was like, I'm not going to go out to the shops Danny was going out to get everything and I felt very, and that was a sign for me that maybe things are going to um, start happening. And I also was having a lot of Braxton Hicks, but I didn't even know it till this. I didn't put two and two together on the Braxton Hicks till I was pregnant the second time. Uh-huh. And just after or while I was even having the baby, I had that thought, oh, those things that were happening where it felt like I had a basketball in my stomach, like it was getting tight. Like that's how I kept thinking, oh, there's yeah. a basketball in there. I thought that was just the body like um, the muscles spasming a bit but without pain, like just doing because there's a baby inside. So it was just like doing this thing. It's like I thought it was a normal thing, which, of course, it is a normal thing. Of course it's, it's the normal. body practicing. Yeah, but practicing. I didn't get it. It was so funny. I didn't quite get it till. And that's I think that's a beauty thing as well. That's a beautiful thing for us to have experience with our body and not to be too stressed about it or have ideas. Is it Braxton Hicks? Is it not Braxton Hicks? To trust our bodies. Our bodies know what they're doing. And to have a relationship with our bodies that is more limbic 
and experiential and um, um, yeah, intuitive rather than a mindy, a heady. Mm. That's this and that's that and that's that. that can really take us away from building a relationship with our body. And so that thing happened. And so I went to the toilet. I went to the bathroom and I did a pee, a wee. And then as I, I remember pulling down my undies and I saw some hairs on that. And I still didn't get it. There are a few little hairs there, what looked like little hairs. And I looked at it going, oh, that's strange. I didn't get it yet. I was still. But then within, I think, 90 seconds. So within a minute and a half, I got a contraction from sitting down on the toilet. Mm. And from that moment, I did not leave the toilet for three hours because I had gone straight into labor, entirely and completely into labor. I had a contraction every 30 seconds for oh, three hours okay. or whatever it was. I don't know. I wasn't timing it. No. and But it was just one after the other. And I had a break mm. and then another one. And then I had a break and then another mm. one. And so Danny called the midwife and because we were all psyching ourselves up for 48 hours and here we are in active labor so it was happening and I we didn't really know it because it was the first time we're giving birth and with all the preparation when you actually go into labor you're not in your prefrontal cortex you're not in the thinking part of your brain you're in the primitive part of your brain where which controls bodily functions and and it's taken over it has a veto over the rest of the brain because it's part of our survival mechanism and also it should because we can't think through a bodily mechanism. There's about a bazillion interactions going on. We can't think mm-hmm. our way through it. We have to just accept that that's like when you go to do a poo, you're not thinking. And now the, you know, the compost is moving through this part of the body and these interactions are happening. We're not in control of that. You know, it's just not like that. Um, and so I was in there, and, I, and but it was happening. It was full-on active labor. And then Danny called the midwife and she heard me. And she was like, right, I'm getting in the car. Because she's an hour away. Yeah, because at yeah. first she said, call me back later. But then Danny said, oh, she's having contractions, lots of them. And so she said, I'll just put the phone near her. I didn't even speak to her. No, she But she heard you. my voice and yeah. she got in the car and drove down here straight away. Love it. So amazing. The wisdom of midwives. Oh, totally. They, they can hear it in, your, in the tone, in, the, in, how, in how belly, how, how deep the voice is and how... Yeah. And um, the sound of it, it's not even the depth. Like I remember, it's like, like, a, like, kind of like a groaning sound. Like, an, oh, that's birth. That's happening. Baby's coming. And so, um, yeah, I just stayed. I loved being on the toilet seat. I have to like kudos to the toilet seat. It was just the best place for me, for me to, to labor on because, first of all, all the juices fell into the toilet seat mm. and um, obviously the toilet was uber clean because we were the whole house was in super preparation for baby coming and everything was sanitized and clean and everything. So it was a great space for me to sit on and not to worry. All the juices from the um, uh, my womb, all of the, you know, the, the water and some whatever blood was mm. coming or bits or whatever. I don't mm. even know what was in there, mm. but uh, I don't think there was a lot of blood, but just mm. this, it's labor juices. Yeah. Uh, it's coming out from you and then... Um, that was all going straight into the toilet and it's a partially squatting position I think I don't know it it was not a full squat but I felt like I was and I could move like move my hips around as I was laboring which really helped me so I had that stable bit and I could um kind of move around and also I was in a confined Mm, closed quiet space so it's the evening I think it was nine o'clock when that thing Mm. happened or seven sorry no 
so the five the whole thing took less than five hours four hours and 45 minutes from when I felt the pop until the baby came out so that that was my birth experience in the birth and I love because you're the first one who's really you know shared about the toilet Mm. and the toilet is amazing I usually actually tell women laboring you go and have free contractions on the toilet sometimes Mm. especially in the end it can be a bit intense because Mm. it's such a good position actually to bring the head down Mm. Uh, and you relax the right muscles because you've conditioned your mind since you were a little you know, girl, yeah, to relax to on the relax. toilet. It's so true. Yeah, the right muscles. So it's mm. actually a really amazing place to sit, and especially for descent, yeah. especially if the baby's head is high, or mm. yeah, you want to, you know, encourage head descent. Toilet. Maybe. Totally. I never thought about the conditioning bit in terms of mm. the muscles, but I, I just felt safe in there. The door could be closed, mm. the light could be turned off. I actually didn't want anyone near me those first three hours in the second bit I felt to move off the toilet yeah. and then I wanted my husband and the midwife to be nearby but I didn't even really want anyone to touch me while I was rest it was kind of a bit the opposite the first part was I didn't want anyone I, I was like do not come near me don't even touch my skin I felt like my skin was crawling when people were coming even too near me or talking to me it felt very foreign and not okay like it felt that it was going to be bad if somebody touched me or talked to me um, because I was in such a process and it was so intense and it was pain. There was pain, pain mm-hmm. on a different level, not like sharp, like when you get a cut from a knife, the finger being cut off or something like that, God forbid, but more a kind of whole bodily, my body was involved in a process mm-hmm. and it was um, happening and it was painful and all this stuff was going on and the pain was a part of the process and which I understood that and I and I was trying to for me to focus not focus but for me to allow that to happen and to be focusing internally and to not kind of get out of that space every time somebody opened the door or tried to speak to me I felt like I was getting away from that and then I had to take Mm -hmm. all my energy to get back into that where I where I was okay with what was going on Mm -hmm. because when I was out of that it felt too painful it was like oh I can't handle it Mm so I was so super conscious of that as well. I don't know why, I was, whether it's luck or, like I said, all that preparation or the calm birth. I think the calm birth did a lot of helping with that because... I mean, I also think that, I mean, you had such a short labor, especially for mm. a first-time mama, and it just went bam, boom, which is yeah. also not very common, you know, to just go no. from zero to 100. Mm. So you also didn't have that kind of you know, easing into labor. Yeah. Um, and so it really brought you straight into that space and you needed you needed all your focus to really be able to handle that and, you know, totally. intensity that came through. Yeah, totally. And that's what it was like. So those first three hours, it was like that. I remember the midwife, when she arrived, she came in and looked at me and then went out and chatted to Danny. And then she came in again a little bit later and said, uh, oh, Danny came in later and said, um, that um, would I like to have a vaginal examination? And I said, no. Like I had this whole react- I almost got <laughs> off the toilet and I was like, if somebody touches my vagina, they are gonna, they're going to be pushed. Like there, there's no touching my vagina. Hands off. That's how I felt. It was like everything was a bodily feeling and a, and a bodily response. Mm. And it was like a – it's phenomenal, actually. I was – it's amazing to be in that place. It's quite animalistic and raw and – but it's so much more real than just the thoughts, mm. than thoughts in your head. Like if I get angry with thoughts, I'm like, rah, rah, rah. well, as this was like 
my whole body, my, my, my animal or whatever, the parts of me that are uh, more biological and more uh, sensory and were alive and they were in charge and they were like, don't, it was like, no, I'm in charge. Nobody's coming near this thing. Mm. And so I loved that. I thought that was like later when I reflected back on that, it was one of the best parts of the birth, the whole birth itself. It was, I felt quite alive and um, even with all the pain, everything going on. And it, it wasn't a head thing. Like the minute that person left, I felt there, that, that whole feeling left as well with it. And then I was back in the birth. So there was, it wasn't like I was retaining any, yeah, it was a really interesting. I wish I, we could be more in that. I don't, you, yeah. I don't know how to turn it on. <laughs> yeah. When you're dancing sometimes and you really lose yourself in the dance, you mm. can feel that the body's just moving, but it's really not quite the same. It's Being like in that fully kind of feminine quality that we all carry, mm. men and women, that is total feminine, like the weather, like just like mm. the storm. Now it's stormy and now it's still. And yeah. Just like, it's, you know, when you fully express something like kids, you know, and so, then it's gone like mm. you just when it's authentically expressed then it can move through your body really quickly and then you don't need to hold on to it anymore but we don't really do that in our day to day no life, we do don't we? <laughs> and and i think it's very much a like you see animals in the wild they're so in touch with their um you know the instinct it's instinct that's what it is it's like it's the physiological biological integrity and instinct where yeah, that part, that's a fascinating part for me. I always, I always think back on that and I think, mm. oh, wow, that was amazing to be in that space. Mm. Anyway, so then those three hours passed and then I did feel like, oh, th- so the midwife did eventually come in and ask me again if, it w- if I would like her. And I said to her, I'm not, I don't want. And she's, like, and she's so respectful. She, she immediately, she didn't even, she didn't really even ask like in that way that was, uh, I can't remember, but I think she was just like, are you sure um, that you don't want to thingy? She was double checking basically mm. herself because first Danny asked me and then she was coming in to double check. Mm. And this whole time she hadn't touched me or looked in my eyes or anything or spoken more than like that one sentence to me. She said, she had said, hello, you're doing well, I think, or something like that when I when she arrived or, but hadn't spoken to me and, and anything. And Danny also, my partner, had been in a couple of times, like maybe three or four times to check in on me and and I and it it was this instinctual as thing as well between us like they just knew not to I didn't say don't come in here and turn the light off and close the door they I just said no don't touch me or something like that and then um they went away <laughs> that was so good do you want a natural birth mama then a natural birth course might be for you. Do you see birth as a rite of passage and an important and transformational event that you'd like to feel fully empowered in meeting? Are you, like many other women, realizing that it is time to take back your power as a birthing woman in the birth space and birth your baby your way? Would you like to feel calm and confident as you birth your baby with all the tools you need in order to meet the labor sensations naturally and be ready body, mind and soul? Do you deeply down know that your body was made to birth your baby and that you have all the inherent power and inner wisdom to do so? 
Are you looking for holistic midwifery wisdom and guidance to assist you and give you all the evidence-based information you need in order to feel fully sovereign in your decision-making around your pregnancy and upcoming birth? Then the Natural Birth Course is for you. Find out more at thenaturalbirthcourse.com. And then I did feel like to step up at one point, and that must have been the change between what is it? I forget now. It's the um, maybe you're going into transition then, or you know, when you're coming to the. It wasn't the transition, but it was the second part where it was the pushing started. Oh, okay. So that first yeah, part was stage. what's so what's first stage? That's not active. Is second stage active? So first stage, you know, is from the beginning when you start mm. when you establish it's what it's called medically yeah and um you you know that's all the way up to the second stage and mm-hmm. then throughout that time at some point in the end you have what we call transition mm. not every woman has you know for some that could be just a few minutes and for some could be a longer period where mm. you might have vomiting or feeling fear or rush of adrenaline or yeah. um yeah just that feeling where women get a crisis of confidence kind of yeah. thing that no, no so that did happen that first stage that was about three hours and then I got up and moved to the bedroom and I because I I just went to the toilet down the hall when I when that thing happened so I was stuck in that toilet but then I got up and walked to our bedroom where we had a a small on a small even smaller ensuite I did prefer that first place but then I was already there and I couldn't move again Mm -hmm. and that's when I had um, the throwing up and the emptying of the bowels and the shaking and all of that. And Sounds I threw like up. Transition. Yes. Yeah. So, and then after that, the pushing started. Mm. And the pushing was about an hour and a bit, uh, and maybe an hour and a, mm. I don't know. That whole phase was after the vomiting and mm. the emptying of the bowels, which felt like amazing and full on and weird at the same time. I knew, like, my, like I knew it was happening now because my body was like getting rid of anything excess or that didn't need to be there or that could be harmful or I don't know it just felt like my body was like right get rid of it all it's like this it was telling me it's going to happen as well I was like there was communication between the body and the body the being in the body I don't know how to explain it like yeah. it was so it, I'm so fascinated by it with all the madness and pain and everything I like I'm not taking away from that but there was in within that part of me that was also going like wow and I, and I had to say I had to say a lot of swear words to get through the pain the more I swore like I said fuck or shit mm. the more the less painful it was Correct. and recently I read some research about that that when you say swear words it hurts less it's such a weird thing mm. but I and I thought oh that's why I was swearing so I was like fuck <laughs> ah, shit and that really helped and then that kind of it's almost like it pulled the pain yeah. or it became the word the pain went into the word rather than feeling in the mm. body. I don't know what mm. the science is, but it worked. Everyone and has their own way of handling it. Yes. Yeah. And it was so helpful. And all the, the movements was really helpful too. The, the, like the circular movements while I was on the toilet really helped me manage the pain. And just get, I was kind of getting into my – and, you know, holding onto my thighs and rubbing my thighs as it was, you know, just helping myself basically get through it. Mm. And then um, – and after that, I could no longer be on the toilet. After all of that, I kind of, like, that was it. I think I might have had a sip of water. And I was already in that even more deeper phase now where I, could, I can't remember time or, you know, it was much of a deeper place. I can't exactly remember what happened. I don't remember really walking over. But I did walk over to the um, 
to the bedroom. Ah, that's what. They, we had a birth pool set up that they had put the water in and everything. And then they were saying to me, now is a good time to go into the water. And I remember putting one leg in and the, my reaction was, disgusting. <laughs> that was the word I said. And then they got me out of the water. I only had one leg in. I, it was so like primal. It was so I funny. I just it. felt like water, no at somewhere else like yeah. this is and then I went somewhere because but we didn't have anything else planned we were going to do it in the water yeah. like we had some stuff on the floor towels and stuff but we didn't have like next time the t- the next time we gave birth I had a, a special foamy mattress on the floor but then I ended up on the floor with towels and blankets mm. and you know we had protective um, plastic sheets under that but it was just like I just that bit was kind of a missed a missed out point the first time and so my knees got a bit painful after. You don't feel it while it's happening. No, because there's uh, other things that are Other things more. that are hurting more and that are going on. And I was only on the floor for an hour and I was leaning over my bed. So there was a lot of relief. So it wasn't like I damaged anything, but it was just a bit sore because your knees are so close to the skin and, the, yeah. and we had wooden floorboards. So, and there was only a few towels underneath. But um, so that's a really great tip. Get a foam or a mattress or something. Or a mattress cover to have Mat- on your bed. Or yes, for sure. Plastic. I didn't feel like being on the bed though because it was mm. – I tried getting on the bed but the bed was too um, – it wasn't supported. It moved yeah. too much. Like uh, I, I needed stern mm. – I needed a, a stable ground. Like it, nothing needed to move yeah. while as I needed to be in control of what moved. So I was leaning onto my husband mm when I needed to and holding and his shoulders and he was holding the under my arm or this or that. I can't quite remember. There was, I was in a, on my knees leaning over the bed. So my legs were behind me and my arms were in front and I was leaning over the bed and then lifting sometimes a leg or that was kind of the position of the pushing on Mm. and leaning into my husband and up. And then I think at the very, very end, I gave birth leaning back up against my husband who was leaning up against the couch which was next to the bed like a little one-seater thingy and but in the whole birth that was the only time because we I tried to sit on the chair and it hurt it was the wrong position there was all of these two or three changes till as you do like maybe I'll sit like that or I wasn't even thinking they just said to me I think come and sit on the chair for a minute or and it didn't work and then but then I was um in that position and that's when the baby came out and it was um amazing it felt like the baby was coming out forever it was like that was this the the you know the let's not undermine or underestimate the painful moment of crowning which Mm. was like and also the feeling just before I, the crowning was happening uh, I had this strong feeling that I can't do it that it's mm-hmm. not going to happen that I had this whole scenario like uh, you know fully come through me it was like I'm going to have to suck the baby back in <laughs> and go and have a cesarean section it's oh not going to work and I had this full um, uh, collapse of confidence as you called yeah, it before yeah, and, I've heard uh, this before yeah, very, I, very close it's so to birth, common yeah. Yeah, just, just before mm. just before crowning yeah. And uh, I was also tired. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I'm tired. I want to. I want to go to sleep. All of that happened yeah. in the few minutes just before the crowning. Um, especially because, especially first time, you know, it can take a long time mm. for that opening of the channel, opening of the vagina. You know, mm. and um, 
and we want that. We want it to go slowly. We don't want yeah. the baby to shoot out. You know, totally. we want no, that no, stretching no. Yeah. and that. But it takes, a, you know, sometimes it can take, mm. you know, an hour, two hours, even longer for a second stage. And and especially that feeling of the head coming down and going back up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know some women who maybe haven't had antenatal, you know, uh, education as such don't know that that's supposed to happen you know I've had a lot of I think that's the most important part Mm. my midwife kept saying to me don't push don't push Mm. and and I and that's because the body is doing the pushing and if you try and push you're gonna tear I didn't tear not Mm. in either of the births I had Mm. not even a slimy flimsy tear nothing yeah and you know I'm sure I had some hairline tears that I you know Mm. with all the pain but there was no Mm. scene there was nothing to to stitch there was nothing to see and that was that needed attention or ointment or anything it was just like and that's because of that that key piece of advice from the midwife Mm -hmm. while it was happening and by the way the midwife was amazing the whole time she only she was sitting quietly in the side and she was she never looked at me she didn't look in my eyes like as Mm -hmm. in she looked at me but I could see her observing me but whenever I looked up at her she reclined her head and didn't look at me and I and I later remember that as being one of the biggest most important things that happened during that whole time and I, I could I just had this knowing that that was an important part of what happened. She wasn't trying to make eye because I couldn't. I was not in that place of making eye contact and trying to have a thought with her of what's going on. That wasn't what it was about. And if maybe if I had gone down that way, I would have started thinking and worrying that I'm in pain and thinking about the pain and thinking about I'm on the floor and thinking about where is she and what's happening and why is it. Mm. All of that would have undermined what was going on and that mm. that was really clear after and so but she was there when totally there when I needed her so and I do remember at the very end calling her it was like saying her name out loud and calling her to come and it was mm. like um you know such a powerful moment because I really then did need her because I thought I that was just before the um the the crowning and when I felt like I couldn't do it and she just she was just there suddenly that she was there um uh, and my and my husband was there and it was all happening and uh that feeling that I couldn't do it I think that's a also a really important part I think if you don't experience that you're missing out on something because that part of not being able to do it and then doing it mm. is is a key skill for parenting for your lifelong capacity as a parent where you're sitting there going, I can't do this anymore. And then you're like, yeah, this is, this will pass. This too will pass yeah. and I'll get through it. And it's, and it's, um, and this will change the circumstances. And I can, even though it's difficult, I can get through it and all of that kind of stuff. And so that experience in its own right is, was kind of imprinting on me and maybe imprinting on the child. I don't know. In, in, our, in our relationship that yes, this is intense and difficult and, and it feels like it's not possible, but, lo and behold miracle baby does then you know 10 seconds later rock up kind of thing and we did it and um so that was a really powerful moment for me and for us as a family for my husband to witness me in that in that moment of collapse Mm. and still hold me with all of that in 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 respect and honoring and um and allowing as well and and it's so hard for a man. They want to save us and, and they want to protect us and they want to make sure everything's okay. And especially in a loving, beautiful, kind relationship, mm-hmm. that is the that is one of those things that that's how the partner is. is. And um, for him to hold me in those moments and, and, you know, just support me, he's the rock behind that and allow that 
feeling to wash over me and um yeah it was just so powerful and so important and and really I'm so grateful to him for not you know faltering or freaking out or trying to yeah. pull the plug or whatever because it was only momentary it's not mm. like it went on I think I think it would be much harder when it goes on for a long time but even then I, I you know like that power to be to be the rock yeah yeah exactly it's a big need. big thing yeah yeah and so then uh, my little baby Noah was born <laughs> little so baby the crowning boy. happened the crowning then... happened it was painful it was like <laughs> um and then uh, it was so painful. It really felt like it's not possible for the head to come through that. Like it just, that was the feeling. It's like, nah, it's not going to come through. But then that minute passed, those whatever, how many minutes, you know, mm-hmm. it, like your body squirms a bit thinking about it. And then uh, the head comes out. And then the body came out. It felt like it was going on forever. It was like, blub, 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 blub. <laughs> I remember feeling that going, because you're in such a, the time ratio space matter thing gets warped because you're in a more limbic space i guess i don't know you're in that primal brain or whatever that primitive brain it it didn't feel very it felt just felt like there was a the baby was coming out forever (laughs) it kept going he was a little bit long he's 59 centimeters oh yeah well as my other baby that is a tall boy he's a tall boy very tall very tall and the second boy was um 49 centimeters so a whole 10 centimeters less uh, so funny and uh, well the other one is now taller that, like in terms of how speedy he's growing so it's interesting I find that very funny and then um, he came out and then it was amazing and we all cried and it was like oh my god and then but I was still shaking and a really important thing that that I want to say here that I'm just remembering the second is that um, the second time around, I was uh, in hindsight. I didn't know this because you, you kind of, when the baby comes out, you're open, like a, you know, whatever you believe or don't believe. But on all realms, you're phys- you're fi- clearly or physically been, you know, a big thing has happened. A whole mm-hmm. baby that was growing inside you for ten months almost. I don't know why they mm-hmm. say nine months. It's forty weeks plus it's ten months. Yeah. So. Um, you know, that thing's been growing inside you, literally tied to you with all these capillaries mm. and blood vessels and the placenta and everything. It's all kind of inside your body and then it gets removed and so there's a big gaping hole inside you. Yeah. So the feeling even on a really just physical level is full on. You're empty, you're, it's open, you're alone. Mm. It's, you know, there's this whole kind of empty openness mm. going on. And then after that, and, and because it's been building for nine months, so it's not like, oh, yeah, the baby's out and I can he- head myself out of that situation of emptiness. It's not. It's, it, it's, it required a lot of time until I felt closed and mm-hmm. safe and full again. It took a while. Mm-hmm. And so that feeling of, um, I remember telling my husband, I just want one thing different from last time is if you can please remind me to come back into myself after to pull mm. to energetically pull myself back in mm. and to really hold that to in in a in a sense of you know because you're so you it's really hard to be present after that because it's such a euphoric mm. thing that's going on it's like the hormones and the baby and the people and the thing and it's out and that whole big painful experience like the body mm. and the and it's like the marathon, you're like after, you can imagine you ran a, a really big marathon yeah. and at the end you kind of collapse. 
you know, your muscles are shaking and you've sweated out, you've lost all your nutrients, you've been shitting mm. and spewing and all of this and the, the, then there's no baby as well and all of this stuff, a massive experience happens yeah. to your biological and physiological body yeah. and then your emotional state and your mental state and all of that and depending on how prepared you were, how supported you were, how not, whatever, yeah. the impact of that is monumental. It is monumental. Childbirth mm. is monumental. Yeah. And it's setting you up. It's the mo- that moment set me up for the rest of the next few weeks and those next few weeks set me up for the next months and year and everything. So yeah. that moment is pivotal. It is yeah. pivotal. So I I was okay. It was nothing wrong or anything like that happened. But I just remember feeling after, in hindsight, it would be great if I had that knowledge that that was going to happen, if I had that awareness that I was going to feel so open and vulnerable and empty and and so euphoric that I couldn't tell myself to come back in. It it. It was this process that I had to go through as a person and as a woman and as a mother and as a partner that took me a bit longer had I had been prepared for that as well for the post because I prepared so well for the birth and the pregnancy, but I didn't have as much context contextual preparation for the post, those first few hours and the first few months, weeks, sorry, days and weeks after. Yeah. And that's a really key, I feel that's a really key thing to pull yourself back in, to be aware and that you're going to go through that big emptiness mm. feeling. And then also the hormonal, the baby blues drop. So the, yeah. the first, what is it, 9 to 12 days where you have the hormonal change and so mm. you do feel sad and empty and lonely and depressed anyway on top yeah. of that. And so it's good to have – I knew a bit of that already, so I was prepared for that, but still yeah. it was – And even on, you know, day three, four when you – that's a big hormonal change mm. and that's when baby blues can also hit in that, mm. you know, when milk comes in and there's a big shift hormonally. Yes, huge shift um, when the milk came in and that was all the drama and <laughs> is it going to come, is it not, and the baby and this and the, the meconium and, and all of those changes and the baby using the digestive system for the first time. I mean, I, we could just talk about that for a whole hour, <laughs> easy, yeah, about the birth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, and that was really big. And the, the few things that really saved me is um, – having had built that relationship with my partner in advance so that was really important because it was really hard to communicate important things and I, we needed to rely on previously built understandings between yeah. us for me to say this is really important for him to yeah. hear to just say to trust me that, I, that he needed to show mm. up in whatever way it was I can't even remember all the things that happened and then also uh, I had this, my amazing midwife who kept coming and calling and checking in and, and coming to visit and answered all the questions, um, a million and one questions I had. Mm. I'd never been having held a baby. You know, never, mm. I've held a baby many times, but never had a baby 24-7 with me yeah, before. And so needing to adjust to that, that was massive. I mean, that is the massive thing as well. Um, and then also um, the book, and the one book, it's like I was reading, reading all up until the birth and then from the birth I couldn't read anything. But I had this one book, Breastfeeding Your Baby by Sheila Kitzinger, which saved my life. It is like I will be in forever in her debt and grateful to this amazing woman who wrote that book who just very clearly and very um, common sensely laid out the situation of breastfeeding post-birth in lots of different scenarios and such a phenomenal woman who wrote that book and and uh, so knowledgeable and experienced and so common sense and so beautiful and so caring for mothers that I just was so good so 
yeah, those first two weeks with breastfeeding, I was struggling a little bit. And that book and my midwife and um, my husband's support and getting, you know, fed and watered and all of that uh, really helped me. Beautiful. And get through that first few weeks, which was a bit of an yeah. intense, it was intense, my God, giving birth and I have a newborn baby and they, they're struggling because they're learning how to use their, um, you know, their digestive system before that they were fed through a tube in their stomach, yeah. you know, suddenly to use their digestive system and yeah. to breastfeed, to learn all that and the right place and connection. And I got through it and then we, I breastfed for five years. So not that first baby, I breastfed for two years and eight, oh, sorry, three years. And when the second baby came, I tanned and breastfed them for four months and then breastfed the second baby for two years. Mm. So my first one was breastfed for three years and the second for two years. So I had breastfed for five years straight. Mm. And uh, I got through that first two, three weeks, the difficult weeks with the support of the midwife, that mm. book, Breastfeeding Your Baby, and my husband and, and the other support that I had and my own that work that I did with myself that was very important. Well, and, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this podcast is generally about the birth, but just a side note is it takes up to six weeks to actually establish breastfeeding. Mm. And, and it's something that um, doesn't just happen the yeah. first week and then you're fine. It's a, it's a communication between you and the baby. And, you know, it takes that time for the breast milk to, you know, regulate and know how much do you know these breasts need to make for this baby mm. um it's yeah six weeks yeah and each breast has a different capacity to hold a different amount of milk mm -hmm. some women hold 50 mils some hold mm -hmm. 200 mils mm -hmm. and therefore in one feeding the baby the 200 mils mm -hmm. is enough while as and they don't need to feed for another four hours while mm -hmm. somebody with 50 mils might need to feed every two hours so or one hour like was my case <laughs> but yeah it, it's just good to be informed. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. And to have the right your... support around you. <laughs> let's yeah. dive into your second birth. Yes. So the second birth was two hours and 40 minutes. And so my midwife had already, yes, yes my midwife quick. had already um, let us know that she needs to be informed immediately. Yes. It's the same midwife that you <laughs> same had. Same midwife. Beautiful continuity. So beautiful. And uh, she had actually stopped practicing. She was quite old already at the time. And she said she was becoming deaf she was losing her hearing and so and obviously she she has to be able to hear because she's everything because she's listening to the baby's heartbeat and my voice and all of that stuff it, hearing is an important factor for a midwife oh yeah <laughs> so important it's like one of the most important ones smell and those olfactory the those senses are totally. incredibly important for a, a skill for a practitioner for a healthcare practitioner yeah. especially with maternity care it's Absolutely. like number one like you need to be able to observe Mm. to hear and to smell what's going on in order to uh, react appropriately mm. to the woman in front of you. And so, but she still agreed to come and um, it's a bit of a long story that I won't go into it, but I was also booked into the publicly funded home birth program, which was the, I was the first person booked into that program here in the Byron Shire when they opened. Okay. And um, they, it, I called them too late. They missed it. <laughs> it was just a very intense situation because I was, I went into, I remember I was lying in bed. It was about, I think it was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night and I was breastfeeding Noah, my older son, to sleep because that was one of the last feeds that he was having, the nighttime in the morning, I think. And Great oxytocin. Yeah, it's so true. And he was <laughs> breastfeeding and then I heard that pop again. Oh, shit. And he had thing. just fallen asleep. And I remember <gasps> sitting up going, 
I think my waters have broken. And then he sat up because he was two years and eight months old and he said, I think your waters are broken. <laughs> it was, it was, I'll never forget that. It was so sweet. And I'd been preparing him. He'd been watching little YouTube <laughs> videos of home births, of very beautiful, mm. relaxed home births where everything went well. Just because I knew he was going to be around and yeah. I didn't want him to freak out from me making noises and sounds and everything. And if he wanted to be or if he was awake that he was able to. I didn't have, wasn't attached to him being there, but I would have loved for him to be there. But as it turned out, my mum ended up coming and he went back to sleep and mm. he wasn't at the actual birth. He came after. Um, and I, I sometimes wish I had woken him up, but um, that, you know, I, I, I have hardly any regrets in my life. I make a point not to be regretful because mm. rather just to be preemptive and know what I'm doing and be conscious and everything. And, and if I've made mistakes, I try to apologize. Um, also to myself, but you know, life is life. We've got to kind of look forward and not, not too much backward. Backwards is good for reflection and, um, and, and learning, but not for dwelling and going to the rabbit hole. Mm. So um, then he was so that that happened and then I went and Danny called straight away our midwife who because we definitely wanted to she said definitely call me straight away because she lives also almost an hour away and we didn't want her to miss it and uh but then what happened the same thing happened I the waters popped I went to the bathroom and I didn't leave there until the same exact process happened except this time we didn't get the birth pool because we knew <laughs> it was disgusting <laughs> it was not for my it was not for me yeah. um and so it was the same thing. It was about two hours of less than two hours even. Like by the time my midwife got here because she was called straight away and then I went into the toilet and then so she, I went into the toilet and then Danny called her and he called my mom and got somebody for Noah and then he called the midwife. So it took like maybe 15 minutes from when I felt the pop mm. until he called her and then it took her about another hour and 20 minutes because she would have packed her bag and got mm. in the car mm. and then drove down. It took her about 50 minutes. So she got here about an hour and a half after we called her, something to that effect, I mm. think, like just from speaking to Danny later. Mm. And um, that was already, there was just 40 minutes, 50 minutes an hour until I gave birth then mm. so um that's how it worked out yeah it was about she was not even here an hour I think and, until I gave birth and then by that time it was all happening and the my the my other son and my mom and she hadn't been there before the first time it was just me Danny and the midwife in the house and that was it mm. and then the second time it was me Danny the midwife and my mom and Noah in another room and so um it was all happening and we, f we forgot to, we basically forgot to call them in time. And by the time it was, because, yeah, and I always, I, I do have that as a regret because it was their first birth and I really was oh. loved the midwife who um, um, was so supportive, the midwives, and, and um, just so beautiful and caring. And they were so excited and they worked so hard to get the publicly funded home birth program up and running and, um, like, it was pushing you know it was difficult to get that it was like a so mm. hard and I'm so aware of that and so conscious and I, I did feel like I wish we had but I was in the birth situation and, oh. and it was all happening really quickly and so super intense yeah two and a half hours yeah yeah and you know it was what it was the first time exactly it was just mm. happening and I was I already 
kind of because I had done it before. I have to say the second time, and my midwife did warn me, she said the second time it might hurt a little bit more than the first time because we were talking about how it would be easier the second time, I thought, because I already knew what was going to happen. And she said, well, just be aware that it could hurt a little bit more because you're more, your body is more sensitive to the hormones the second time around. And she was right. It did feel like it hurt a little bit more. And I can't even remember it. I remember the first birth much better than the second birth. The second birth, I remember the pop and the breastfeeding and the thing. And then after that, it's quite blurry. Like I don't even remember the midwife arriving because I was, I think I was already in that most limbicky stage when she arrived. I was so deep down the rabbit hole that like it was a bit hazy who was there and what, what was going on. And then I don't even, I think I gave birth on the other side of the like just across the room from the first time not in the exact same spot like on the other side Mm. and then we had because we had the mattress there and and I had that same feeling before he's born and I have to suck the baby back up and go and have a cesarean he's not going to come out it's too big it's not going to work my body's not it's not going to fit that was the thought in my head and you know because it feels so impossible at that very moment I don't know what it is but again it Mm. happened and I felt like that was such an important and powerful moment in the whole thing that I could get over that so we didn't do cord clamping in neither of the births I had read Sarah Buckley's book Gentle Birth Gentle Mothering and in there there is a beautiful and and I'm going to say something really important about this but there's a beautiful chapter about her son sons placenta and we just decided to have a lotus birth which basically means um you know that's a nice word but it just basically means uh, where you don't cut the cord after the baby's born and this was for the first and the second both the babies we kept the placenta attached to the baby and the cord attached to the baby until it naturally fell off um and it was a bit of an annoying process because the cord becomes um tough and tight and it becomes a bit wiry and almost like quite wiry towards the end as it dries off and then it it falls off but the second time around I was even a bit more annoyed I was like oh when is it going to fall off because you've got to carry the baby around with the cord it's not a big deal because you're not moving that much anyway and it's all um you know wrapped properly and and uh, clean and it's got salt in it and and the midwife does it and shows you how to do it and so it's all like well done um but it was the second time around when I read the story again in Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. And I had this awareness and understanding of, like I knew it was important to do it because I just felt, I felt like I didn't want to cut it off. Like I just felt it was the wrong thing to do. And then obviously the third of the baby's blood is in the placenta after the baby's born. So that blood has to come through. That is imperative. There's iron, there's antibodies, there's blood, life, Mm. life, life, Mm. blood in that placenta. It has to go to the baby. You cannot take that blood. That that blood belongs to the baby. It goes back into the placenta so the baby could more easily come out. And then the, and also in case of emergency, if you need to, the the blood can resuscitate the baby, help with you know, it's basically a, again, it's a biological survival mechanism. So that blood has to go back to the baby. So you cannot cut it off. You cannot cut the cord before that blood goes back into the baby. And once the cord stops pulsating, that means the blood has stopped moving backwards and forwards mm-hmm. and has completely gone back into the baby. Then you can cut it if you want to. But we chose not to cut it. And then it was only in the second time that we did it that I had the full realization around why I had that feeling to do it to begin with. And that's because... You know, when the baby's conceived, there's one cell and that cell separates into two cells. 
and one cell becomes a placenta and one cell becomes goes on to become the baby. And that placenta then becomes the baby's mother inside the womb, its best friend, its lifeline, its support, its care. It's the thing that's nourishing. It's almost like a, a sacrificial organism that 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 is 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 I mean there's so many things you can say about it but to just discard it like it was nothing feels heartless and um and there's something about recognizing the value of that that really changed the way um I saw the whole process so even though it was a bit annoying and it became wiry and you know it was a piece of um dying you know, dead, not not really connected to anything flesh that you don't see, don't smell it or anything. So it's unoffensive. But it the the knowledge of it being there, it kind of thinks, well, why do we really need that? It's doing, it's not providing anything. But what is happening is you're recognizing the value of that, also for the child that's been attached to the placenta the entire time, and you're honoring their relationship, and you're saying it's okay, it's going to leave now, and you know it's done its duty and we're so grateful to it that it's um nourished our baby in the womb and supported it and protected it and given it the best and taken away all the dirty stuff and all the waste and everything and dealt with everything and it's done an amazing job and we're honoring that and you know I think for some people that might sound a bit silly but to us it was so important to honor that and to recognize that and then we planted our placentas in the backyard and in the front yard actually one on each side and you know I walk through the door every day and they're planted outside and they're nourishing a plant in front of the house and it's part of our life and I don't think about it often but it's it's that <laughs> that's beautiful that. yeah oh. Thank you so much for sharing your mm. birth story. If you had a first-time mama in front of you right now about to have her first baby and she really wants to optimize her chances of having mm. a natural and empowering birth experience, what advice or pearls of wisdom? Obviously, you've given so much already, but is mm. there anything more that you wish to say to her right now? <laughs> um, it's your body. Uh, it's your baby and it's your birth we say that at our podcast and it is true pregnancy birth and beyond your body your baby your birth and nothing's going to change that no set of circumstances are going to change that and that translates to me into two things your body your baby your birth your responsibility mm. number one so you're yes. responsible for optimizing nobody's going to give you a good birth nobody's going to hand that to you not anyone that is around you is going to enable that so your it's your responsibility to create that for you including who you choose to be with you how you choose to inform yourself what you say yes to what you say no to and at the end of the day the system sees it like that as well even though they they try and say otherwise but they will put the responsibility on you because it's all about informed consent so what you're consenting to what they're doing they can't do anything without your consent not legally even though they they do things without consent and they do coercion and that's also illegal but at the end of the day the system sees it as your responsibility as well so know that be informed it's your responsibility your experience is your responsibility And so no matter what happens, even if you, we go into a really bad situation, you can still have a positive experience because you're 
you're well informed, you're prepared, you've communicated everything you need to communicate, you have an open communication with your partner, your your um, care providers, all of that kind of stuff. So that's the number one thing I want to say um, about that. I mean, that's also the bottom line, really. There's a lot, all the other stuff is so important, but that is the bottom line. It's yeah. it's it's your responsibility, your experience, mm. and it can be amazing. And trust, 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 you know, trust yourself. Build that relationship with yourself, you with you, stay with you, you do you, hold your own, all of that, you know, keep coming back to yourself. It's not an easy journey, it never is, and it's a lifelong journey as well. Yeah. Uh, having that confidence in yourself and your capacity and your capabilities and your body and all of that. But, you know, speak, listen to good positive stories. Don't engorge on negative ones. You know, speak to the right people. Get the right people around you, those that are experienced and know what they're talking about. And, um, you know, work hard to get what you want because it is, it's like anything. You're going to go and get a car. You're not just going to buy some mm. kind of random thing. You want to, you know, get a nice dress. Mm. You're going to go to a few shops until you find the right fit and it looks mm. good. Do, absolutely do the same for your body for your birth for this baby for your family mm. for your relationships they're lifelong they're gonna you know it, it's huge and yeah. the work that's needed is put put the elbow grease in and work and you will be rewarded for that no doubt mm. and uh, yeah that's my <laughs> that's my little tips <laughs> i love that yeah, that's Beautiful. my tips yeah. Thank you so much, mm. Annalie, for sharing your wisdom mm. and your birth stories. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you love this podcast, then please share it. Grade it on iTunes and leave a comment. If you want to connect on social media, you can find me on Facebook as The Spiritual Midwife or on Instagram as The underscore Spiritual underscore Midwife. Thank you for listening.